Uh, I'm glad he told the fishing on the Chicago River story because I was going to if he didn't. And as he's telling us this story, we're sitting in Culver's this afternoon, and uh, he says, you know, he took me out fishing on the Chicago River, and my antenna went up. I thought, the Chicago River, that can't be legal. And he said, yeah, we just we put in, I didn't say anything. He said, yeah, we just uh, put in the boat in Chinatown. And I'm thinking, put in the boat in Chinatown? What in the world? And, uh, and then I remembered that Brian Bussey lives in this bubble. And Brian Bussey does not care what is going on outside that bubble. Because whatever's inside the bubble is, is what he's doing, what he's involved in. And um, I don't know how he does it, but he's from the mountains of West Virginia, uh, living in, in the heart of Chicago. And he, he made it. He, he not only made it, he thrived. And um, while my wife was in his youth group, they went through, uh, he went through a hard trial with his health. And they thought that he was going to pass away because of his health complications. And uh, many, many of the kids in that youth group have gone on to either be in ministry or continue on in church, which is a very rare thing, unfortunately. But um, I think that they bonded, uh, especially to the Lord um, in that time period and just leaned on him. And uh, it's interesting what happens when God puts you through a trial, how uh, not only you are blessed by it, but many others around you. And uh, he's a great example of that. And uh, we uh, once again appreciate uh, the opportunity, Pastor, and I don't take it lightly being able to preach. Um, if you're visiting tonight, all right, come back when he's preaching, okay? Uh, don't hold the church accountable for anything I say. This, I've never been here before. This is my first time as well, so we're in it together. And uh, we're both first-time visitors today. Um, but we'll, uh, Lord willing, get something from his word from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And uh, I will fill you in on the details of a project I mentioned in Sunday school uh, because many of you were not uh, there serving in other areas of the church. Um, we're doing a John and Romans project, and as I explained in Sunday school, I don't have to ask you for money because it's already paid for. God provided the funds for it. Um, I'm just asking you to pray. And so uh, God opened up a door of opportunity to get 1.3 million John and Romans distributed. That's one for every home in New Zealand. Um, within the next few years. And so that's a, a large scope to that project. There's a lot of churches and ministries involved. And uh, it's a country that is desperate and needs the Word of God. Um, people in New Zealand do not have multiple Bibles on their bookshelves. It's rare to find someone that actually has owned one before. And so we're excited to be able to get Bibles into New Zealand. And uh, obviously, John and Romans, that's just a portion of it, but it will have a clear gospel presentation on it. And uh, Lord willing, the power of the Word of God will be able to change lives in New Zealand as it has all over the world. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and we'll go ahead and um, I'm going to go through uh, verse 1, verse 3, and then we'll read verse 7 for sake of time tonight. But we'll start there in verse 1. It says, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Now look at verse 3. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves. Now, skip down to verse number 7. Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all diligence, and in your love to us, see that ye abound in this grace also. And the Apostle Paul uses that word abound multiple times, twice in verse 7, once in chapter 9. And we're going to focus on that word abound tonight. And this passage, 2 Corinthians 8, is known as the giving passage, uh, very often used to talk about giving in the church. And uh, the message tonight is going to springboard off giving, but we're going to be talking about dependence more so than giving. 
And in this passage, not, not only do you see giving in the church, and we already read verses that talk about giving and, and how they were giving of themselves, but we're going to be discussing dependence on God. Because ultimately, when, when you think about giving and giving financially, um, giving whatever it is that you have to God, when you, when you think about giving, ultimately, it starts with giving of yourself. And that's what the passage says here. And I want you to try and remember this phrase throughout the message tonight. Abounding in the grace of giving requires giving your whole self willingly by the grace of God. And there's three parts to that. Giving your whole self willingly by the grace of God. And so we're going to discuss this matter of abounding and giving, abounding in other areas as well. Let's go ahead and ask for the Lord's help tonight. Dear Jesus, we thank you that we can learn from your word and your example. I pray that you would challenge each heart in the room, and I pray that you would challenge my heart as well and allow me to be used of you to say what you want me to say. And I ask this in Christ's name. Amen. The Corinthian church in verse 7, you see that Paul had a lot of high praise for them. Let's read it again. He said, therefore, as ye abound in everything. Now you could stop right there. That's a mouthful. The apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Ghost, looked at the Corinthian church. And if you think about who he was talking to here, what was he giving as a message in 1 Corinthians? How awful they were, wasn't he? he the whole book of 1 Corinthians, he is, he is pounding them chapter after chapter of how wicked and horrible they were. And then after just a few years, here in chapter 8, verse 7, he says, Therefore is ye abound in everything, and he lists what they abound in. Faith, utterance, knowledge, diligence, love to us. And that word abound literally means to superabound or to exceed in. Now, can you and I reflect on our character, our Christian character, in these areas and say, I abound in faith. My life exceed, is exceedingly an example of faith. My life is exceedingly an example of, of faith, utterance, knowledge, diligence, love to us. Can, can any one of us say that we abound in any of those categories? That would take a, a lot of uh, standard, a high standard to meet that bar of abounding in those areas. But yet Paul says, you, Corinthian church, you abound these areas. And in fact, it didn't stop there. Turn back to chapter 1. Uh, actually, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 5. He says there, 1 Corinthians 1, 5, that in everything ye are enriched by him, in all utterance and in all knowledge. And in a parallel passage, the Apostle Paul says that they came behind in no gift. It, he kept continually heaping praise on this church for how much they abounded in, uh, in fruits of the Spirit, in their Christian walk, in their living. He says you abound, you over uh, exceed, you're over the top. And then back to verse 7 of that chapter, it says, see that ye abound in this grace also. He said, you're doing great over here. You're doing amazing in all of these areas. You know, you're, you're the soloist at church. You're the piano player. You're the Sunday school teacher. Uh, you're, the, you're the best soul winner. You're all of these things. You're doing great but make sure you don't forget this grace of giving. Make sure you don't forget. You're not exempted. Just because you're involved in all of these labors, you're not exempted. That's a lot like when it comes to our witness. We give to missions, and we should, I believe. I'm a missionary, all right? But that doesn't exempt you from witnessing to the neighbor. 
Right? Just because you put the money in the plate doesn't mean that you're exempt from telling those around you about Christ. And that goes hand in hand. Often it's a lot easier to give monetarily than it is to go across the street and tell the neighbor. At least for me, in terms of boldness and, uh, and uh, the flesh fighting that, of course, uh, you, you understand entirely what I mean by that. And so the Apostle Paul, he's trying to bring a balance. That's what he's talking about, bringing a balance to their lives. And when I think about a balance, um, the first thing I thought of as, I, as the word balance came up as I was studying this was uh, in a vehicle. And when you have unbalanced tires, and I'm sure some of you have driven with unbalanced tires before, okay? And what does that do? That causes a vibration in the car, right? That, be, that causes it to be very uncomfortable. I don't know why you're smiling. Why are you smiling? Oh, uh, I won't tell that story, all right, for her sake. But um, it has to do with, with running over street signs. So, um, but tires in a car, not flat tires, all right? I'm talking about unbalanced tires. So when you have an unbalanced tire, it causes a vibration in the car because something's not right. Something's out of place. And it causes the car to be very uncomfortable and not function properly. Um, there was a, a point in time in my life I was doing odd jobs for people, and one of the odd jobs I had at this man's house was to carry bags of salt down to his water, uh, water softener unit, and I had to carry those to the basement. And he'd always want me to carry one bag at a time. And it was so awkward to carry one 50-pound bag in, in one arm. And what do you got to do? You got to balance it out. It's easier to carry two 50-pound bags. How does that make sense to carry 100 pounds, and it's easier than carrying 50 pounds? balance. To have it balanced is so much easier. And in the Christian life, when we suddenly get our balance right, and Proverbs talks a lot about that, um, talking about balance and uh, unjust balance is an abomination to the Lord. When we have balance in our life, the Christian walk becomes a lot simpler, a lot less complex. Paul here, urging the Corinthian church to have balance. You abound in all of these areas, but don't neglect the giving. And so that, that's the groundwork. That's simply introduction to the three areas of abounding. And like I said, we're talking about dependence on God tonight. We see the first part in verse 1. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the what? Grace of God. We do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Now, the Macedonian churches, um, if you're aware, that was Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, and these churches, as it says in verse 2, how that in great travel affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. The Macedonian churches were known for being in deep poverty, in deep affliction, and yet they were still willing to give. But why? How is that possible? How is a church or a people or an individual, how are they able to give? And right now we are talking about monetarily to start out. How are they willing and able to give if they're in deep poverty and deep affliction? I think the key is found in verse 1, the grace of God. The grace of God, it's only through his grace. The grace of God was evidenced by their abundance of joy in the great trial of affliction. Oftentimes, uh, someone goes through a trial, and they might talk about uh, how they felt the grace of God in their life. They felt that comfort and that peace. And that was my mom uh, recently. My dad had open heart surgery. And my mom, uh, going into it, there, obviously there's fear. Uh, our family's never experienced a surgery like that before. Uh, that's kind of a, a new obstacle that we faced. And my mom, going into it, had that fear, had that anxiety about it. But the moment she needed it, the day of the surgery, a great calm came over her. And she noted how the grace of God came into her heart, 
gave her that peace, gave her that calm. She knew that it was in God's hands. The grace of God is necessary in our lives. So as we talk about this matter of giving tonight, we're going beyond the finances, and we're talking about giving of our own self, as we'll see. But where does that start? That starts in the dependence of God. Um, take your Bible, turn to chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians. Chapter 9, it should be just a page or two over. And in verse 8, it says, God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that ye, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. Now look at verse 11. Being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causeth through us thanksgiving to God. Now there's a couple of phrases in here. Having all sufficiency. Increase the fruits. Enriched. And you're familiar with Philippians 4.19, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches. Uh, Luke 6.38, give and it shall be given unto you. So there's a promise from God of provision. Now you and I, when we enter into this matter of giving, giving of ourselves, giving of our finances, there comes a point in time where it becomes illogical what we're giving. All right? it, it doesn't make sense. It's beyond human reason. You mean you give that to your church? That's what a skeptic would say. That's what an unbeliever would say. You mean you give that amount? You give 10% of your income to the church? You're how do you live on 90% of what you make? How do you do that? And for you and I, how do we do it? It's through the grace of God. It's through the promise of provision that he's given us in the verses we just read. There is a promise, like he says there in 2 Corinthians 9, 8, and 11, there is a promise of provision. Now look back at uh, chapter 8 and verse 3. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves. For to their power, to their ability, they were willing. But beyond their ability they were willing. Now, that church, they couldn't give money they didn't have. Right? The Apostle Paul addresses that. You can't give what you don't have. That's common sense. But they were willing to. They said, we're willing to give what we don't have. That's how willing they were. And that'll be our second point. But is that willingness in us? So first of all, that dependence on God, the dependence on the grace of God. Um, there was a man in our church, he's since passed away, uh, a man in our church by the name of Bill Tucker. And Bill Tucker had the biggest heart anyone could have. Bill Tucker had, a, had, a, had such a large heart. Someone would come to church, he'd meet them for the first time, and they, they could give him a sob story about how they needed four new tires on his car. And after church, they'd go and buy new, four new tires on, on their car. You know, that, was, that was Bill Tucker's heart. He had a huge heart for people, almost to a fault. Because he would get himself into situations that were difficult to get out of because he had such a large heart. I'm sure you guys can think of someone in your life that has that big of a heart. And sometimes they don't have the means to match their heart, right? Um, my brother Joel, uh, he's our youth pastor at our church. He does all the video work and all the graphics and everything. And Joel will give of his time to a fault. All right, Joel will, will go night after night not sleeping to finish a project so that it can be done um, in time for an event. Or he'll, he'll give so much of his time because his heart is in it so much. He has such a big heart that he takes uh, what God has given him, time, and he just uses it overabundantly. And somehow, Joel, my brother, he somehow has the physical ability to do that. Like I said, he'll go one day, two days, three days, no sleep, and just function perfectly fine. Now, I can't do that, okay? <laughs> 
I can't go a night, you know, I gotta have like six hours to be able to function at least. God has, I believe, given my brother a special ability. You say, that's, that's, uh, that's baloney. That's crazy, you know, that you're saying God would give him a special ability uh, because he's given that to God. I believe because he's committed that to God and said, God, I'll use my time for you, even beyond what is physically possible, God has given him a special ability to endure that. What is that? That's dependence on God. If you step back and, and you, you reasoned logically and said, you can't physically spend 90, 100 plus hours working like my brother sometimes does. You can't physically do that and function and have a successful family and a, and a successful, you could go on and on, but through the grace of God. And I think sometimes we're hesitant to give because we're not yet dependent on the provision of God. Philippians 4.19, it says, My God shall supply your need according to what? His riches. Not according to our employer, not according to a paycheck or welfare check. It's not a dependence on anybody but the Heavenly Father. He works through those avenues, but our dependence should not be on those avenues. It should be on the hand of God. Dependence. Now, secondly, in verse 3, we see willingness. Before we move on, dependence of provision and then dependence of his presence. Are we dependent on God's presence? If you look at the life of Moses, of Gideon, of Jeremiah, God came to those three men. He said, I have a, a job for you to do. I have a task for you to do. And they looked at themselves. They said, I'm not worthy. I can't do it. Right? Moses said, I can't speak. Um, uh, Gideon, he said, I'm the least of my father's house. Jeremiah, he said, uh, I'm but a child. All right? I, I can't go out and preach. So all three of them, they, they recognized the lack of their ability. And all they had was dependence on God. Why were those three men successful? Because of their dependence on God. Their dependence on his presence. And all three of those passages, and you could go home and look at it later, Moses, Gideon, Jeremiah, all three of them were given God's promise that his presence would go with them. In our life, we try and, we try and go through a busy schedule. We try and uh, manage the family, manage the job, manage the ministry. And we go through our life trying to do it in our own power, in our own strength, when really we need to come to God and say, okay, God, I'm dependent on you. Dependent on you for my strength, for my finances, for my kids, for my provision, for your presence. Dependence on God. God's grace. Secondly, a willing mind in verse 3. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves. Let's skip down to verse 12. For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. All throughout the scripture you see when people gave, and they gave willingly, the miracles that happened. David and the temple, right? The people gave so much. Uh, Josiah in the Old Testament, the people gave so much. Uh, Moses building the tabernacle, the people gave so much that at times they had to say, whoa, whoa, hold on. Stop giving. You've, you've given too much. Preacher, have you ever had to do that? No, not yet. Okay. Uh, there's one church that we've been to and the preacher said, I had to stop my people from giving because they had given so much for a need that, was, that we had at the church. And that blew my mind. I had never heard that before. That uh, in modern day, the giving exceeded the need. The giving was over and above that it had to be stopped. But what, how does this happen? A willing mind. In chapter 9, it talks about a cheerful giver. And we pray for that right before the offering. 
um, you know, God bless the cheerful giver. We should be a cheerful giver. You can't be a cheerful giver if you're not a willing giver. You have to be a willing giver, right? You have to be willing in your mind and say, Lord, I am willing. And what does this go back to? The dependence, the grace of God. Grace of God, a willing mind. And then lastly in verse 5, and this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. So here's where we get to the heart of the matter. Giving of our money, our time, our talents is a symptom of giving our heart to God. That's all it is. It's just a symptom. You know, you go to the doctor and they might try and treat a symptom, right? They might try and put a Band-Aid on it. But until they get to the heart of the matter, the problem's not going to be solved. And oftentimes we try and resolve an issue or, or, or we say, well, well, let me resolve the symptom instead of going to the problem. In this matter of giving, the symptom is that we give our, our time and our money and our talents. But the heart of the matter is the heart. That's where the rubber meets the road. Matthew chapter 19 in your Bibles. Matthew 19. Matthew 19 and verse 18, it's talking about the rich young ruler, as he's referred to. Yeah. In verse uh, 20, though, it says, The young man saith unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? This rich young ruler, in his own words, had kept the Ten Commandments. Now, we know he was not perfect. He wasn't Jesus Christ. But he says, All these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? And Jesus Christ didn't even negate him. He didn't argue with them. He didn't say, well, yes, you have committed this error. You have lied. You have cheated. You have stolen. Jesus Christ cut through that. In verse 21, Jesus saith unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast. Give to the poor. Thou shalt treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Jesus didn't want his money. That's not why Jesus told him to go sell what he had, give it to the poor. Because Jesus would have asked for the money. Jesus cut right through the Ten Commandments. He cut right through uh, the man's excuses. And he said, give me your heart. He said, I want what's most important to you. He went to the heart of the matter. And what happened to the young man in verse 22? When the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He was willing to give all that he had. He was living a pretty honorable life by his own testimony having kept the Ten Commandments, at least in his own opinion. That's pretty radical to say that you have kept the Ten Commandments. But when Jesus Christ came to him and said, what's this one area in your heart you haven't given me? What is the last thing you're holding on to? The last part of you inside. And the young man ran away sorrowful. He didn't want to give up what Christ had asked him for. That was himself. How many of us are willing to give ourselves to the Lord? The passage we read in 2 Corinthians, it said they were first willing to give themselves. Before they gave their money, before they gave their time serving in a Sunday school class or serving in a ministry, they simply gave themselves. What are the three ingredients to abounding in this grace? The grace of God? Willing mind? Yourself. That's all it takes to abound in this grace. Now, we all need a lot of work on those other areas, don't we? Our faith. 
our utterance, our diligence, our love for one another. We all need a lot of work in those areas. But the Apostle Paul said, don't forget to abound in this grace also. Don't build up so much over here and forget the one thing you lack, like this one man did, that Christ said. Abounding in this grace of giving. 1 Corinthians 6.20 is where we'll end up. 1 Corinthians 6.20. That's the last place I'll have you turn tonight. It says in this passage, For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. For ye are bought with a price, it says. The scripture talks a lot about stewardship. And the best way I've heard to illustrate stewardship um, is this. I, I had a preacher one time, he was preaching, and he asked the congregation for a $100 bill. And um, an eight-year-old boy ran up to the front with a $100 bill. And we were all shocked, right? Because if one of these young men ran up with a $100 bill, the pastor would ask where they stole it from. <laughs> but he had a $100 bill in his hand, and the guest preacher said, I, I can keep that, I can have that. And the young boy said, yeah, sure. And we were all shocked even more that he would give it to the preacher. And the preacher said, why were you so quick to give this to me? And the young boy said, you gave it to me before service. And we all chuckled. And the preacher said, that's stewardship. The young boy knew where it came from. He knew whose it was. So he was so willing to give it. You and I, according to 1 Corinthians, we're bought with a price. We're not our own, Scripture says. So why do we hold on to our life so tightly? Say, well, God gave this to me. He gave it to us to manage, not to own. A steward is supposed to look back to the master and say, Lord, how would you want me to manage my life? How would you want me to manage my family and my finances and my time? Are we stewards of what God has given us? Or are we owners of what God has given us? You're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. Matthew chapter 6 talks about, um, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And you hear a lot about um, investing financially into a, into a church or into whatever it might be. Whatever you put your money into, that's where your heart's going to be. And I believe that. But I believe it's, double, it's a double-sided coin. I believe that not only where you put your money is where your heart's going to be, but vice versa. And I think of it like this. I think of it like a sports fan. And I, I'm a Blackhawks fan. Um, our, our family is. And so you think of a season ticket holder and what kind of money is spent for that. A fan of a sport, their heart is in it because maybe the team is winning or doing well. And so what do they do? They go and they buy those season tickets, right? And so they, where their heart went, that's what they invested their money into. And so now they're financially invested, and 10 years down the road, as happens with sports teams, especially Chicago ones, they're no longer good anymore, right? But because that person is financially invested, now their heart's in it. So their heart is in it because they invested financially. So it's a double-sided coin. So not only where we put our treasure, that's where our heart is, but where we put our heart, that's where our treasure is going to be. And it goes both ways. Are you giving? Are you abounding in giving? I'll read that phrase one more time and we'll close. 
abounding in the grace of giving requires giving your whole self willingly by the grace of God. And I hope you don't walk away tonight just thinking of the financial. Although this month, I, I believe it's important to emphasize that as um, the grace giving cards indicate. And preachers ask you uh, to pray for that. And I encourage you as well to pray for that. It's amazing to see what God can do collectively when individuals get on the same page with the Father. You think, how can a church support this much financially, this many missionaries around the world? How, how does that happen? It happens through the unity of the church, each one seeking God's will. And I encourage you to, to consider this financially, but more importantly, first, give yourself. Give yourself, because you'll never willingly give money, time, talents, if you don't first willingly give yourself to the Father. Let's bow for prayer. Dear Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice and giving to us. And you didn't stop short of giving your time, your talents, but you gave us your life. And Lord, you simply ask that we give our life back to you and be a living sacrifice. I pray that each one in this room, myself included, we would take that challenge. We would give ourselves willingly by your grace. It's only through your grace. Pastor, come. We've got a nice close this evening. I want to ask a few questions by way of invitation here. First, I want to make a statement. Don't forget where you've come from. Don't forget whom you belong to. I'm not talking about your, your hood. I'm not talking about your rough background. I, I encourage you, don't forget that. Learn, learn, um, learn from that and uh, <clears throat> improve all that. But I'm talking remember who's purchased you. The blood of Christ shed, purchased you. It pays for your sin. And so if you've been saved, you belong to God. If you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you first and foremost, you've been bought with a price, and that price was great. With heads bowed and eyes closed this evening, have you given yourself back to God? Have you acknowledged God? You, you purchased me. Lord, I'm so thankful and appreciative for what you've done for me. And out of appreciation, Lord, I give my heart back to you. That's the ground that God desires to work with. That's the ground that God can work with. And uh, I want you to consider that. What a powerful what a powerful thought. What a powerful truth there. Thank you, Brother Josh. With heads bowed and eyes closed, though, uh, we're going to have a time of invitation at the end of the service here. It's an opportunity to reflect on, on the message, the Word of God. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, let's all stand. Let's all stand. Maybe the Lord has spoken to your heart in some capacity. Maybe it is that you've not given your heart back to God. Maybe you're not fully surrendered. Maybe you've taken your eyes off of, uh, off of God and you've been focusing on the circumstances around you. Hey, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus and live. With heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe you need to give your heart to the Lord. Uh, I want to encourage you, take a step out of the, up the aisle, come to this altar right here, uh, bow your knee and say, God, I give, if you've never done it before, God, I give myself to you. I yield myself wholly and fully to you. It ought not be that it's just kids coming. 
but praise the Lord for that. Maybe you're here this evening and there's that area. You say, I'm, I'm fully surrendered, Pastor Sam. I am fully surrendered, but are you? Why don't you ask the Lord as we sang Psalm 139, search my heart and know my thought and thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Have you done that today? Did you do that this morning before you came to church? Did you do that this afternoon? God, search me. Have your will. Have thine own way. If there first be a willing mind, it is according to that a man hath and that he hath not. With heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe you're here this evening and and who here would say, Pastor Sam, I do know that I'm saved. I do know that if I died, that heaven would be my home. I have been shown from the Bible and I have received Jesus as my personal savior. I have confessed my sin and called on the Lord and asked him to save me. And so I have that uh, promise of, uh, of a home in heaven. If that's you, would you testify to the Lord? Would you just raise your hand? That's me. I know that I'm saved. I know that I'm saved. You may put your hands up, many hands up, many hands up. You may put your hands down. Praise the Lord. Maybe you're here this evening and you weren't able to honestly raise your hand regarding that statement. And uh, But you would like to know, I'd like to pray for you. I'd like to pray for you. Is there somebody here that say, Pastor Sam, I'm, I'm not certain that if I died that I'd go to heaven. But if somebody could show me from the Bible, I would like to know. Would you pray for me? Would you pray for me? I'd like to pray for you. If that's you, would you slip your hand up so that I can pray for you, so that I can pray uh, for you that you could be certain that heaven is your home. Slip your hand up. Slip your hand up. Anybody at all? All right. Heads bowed and eyes closed. If the Lord has spoken to your heart in some capacity, man, take the opportunity. Come to the altar. Do business with the Lord. Call out to him.